Hi everyone, welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan and I am JJ Walsh in Hiroshima. So excited once again to talk with the amazing Asby Brown. Thank you so much for joining Asby. It's great to be here again. You know, I always love talking with you and now you're an old friend. So it's great amazing. just to catch up. And it was so wonderful to be with you in Fukushima and have you guiding us around and sharing your expertise from your SafeCast experience over the last 12 years going up to that area. Uh, it was so insightful. I have so many great stories and inspiration. I think that was, Asby, for me, that was something that was really surprising is I was getting inspired from what's happening in Fukushima that I think can be applied in other parts of Japan. So it, it wasn't just about the recovery for Fukushima. It was like Fukushima becoming a great example for other parts of Japan and the world. It was really exciting. Yeah, I, I really I'm happy that you came away with that because that's how I feel more and more. I mean, at the beginning, you know, the first couple of years, uh, there was just this great sense of need and they needed help. And uh, for several years now, when I go, it's like, what can I learn from yeah. these people? Uh, they have so much they've done, accomplished, uh, met challenges, uh, figured things out, putting things together, innovating, and there's a lot we can learn from them. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you you came away with yeah, that same Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but today we are talking about uh, really in your wheelhouse about house design in Japan. And it's kind of a preview mm. of what you're going to talk about at the Minka Summit this weekend, right, Asby? Uh, yes, it, it is. And, and with the caveat that I'm still thinking about it. You know, I always, until the last minute, I'm putting together my thoughts and, and how it'll go together. And I know the rest of the team is waiting for me to send my presentation, but uh, they'll get it tomorrow. And uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm looking at some other aspects, uh, you know, that I think I want to yeah. share. With people. And we've got so many beautiful photos today of places that are connected mm. to your topic about uh, restoring yeah. and renovating old homes and how that connects to rebuilding and reinvigorating communities around Japan, right? Yeah, how, how can this, you know, restoring a minka or a machia, how can this um, actually help make a difference? And, and we've seen, you know, I think I've seen enough examples, some good examples of where it really has because it's been done well. Uh, good, good oversight. Some visionary people doing it, uh, and other in instances where you say, "Yeah, why didn't this really happen?" And uh, you know, it depends on what people are trying to accomplish. And when I talk about preservation, uh, the big, big question that I always want to pose at the beginning is, you know, what are we trying to preserve? You know, it's not just, you know, wood, you know, a house. It's something about culture and something about passing down culture. So this is um, a fairly intangible thing. But I think uh, old houses, old buildings, old communities, old towns uh, really can teach us about who we are and where we came from in a way that other uh, books or movies really can't. So that's what I want to think about and talk about. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to say it. And it's it's so much more than mm. just a house, right? Mm. Right. Um, some people only want just a house and that's fine. And and I think, you know, if uh, whatever, if they're going to turn it into a restaurant or they're going to live in it, it's going to be a vacation home. Um, that's also fine for me if it 
preserves the building, preserves something about the environment and, and that history, uh, at least for the next generation. And that's very, very worthwhile, I think. Uh, but again, it's a bit different than, um, you know, how do we, uh, how can we find ways that um, the process of, of recognizing, restoring, understanding, and appreciating uh, older buildings, how can that serve as kind of an anchor for revitalizing communities? How can that serve as an anchor for uh, reminding us about our culture, about what's valuable? And and the the irony is, of course, uh, you know, I'm not Japanese and you're not Japanese. And there's a lot of people we know who are involved, who will be participating at the Minka Summit who are not Japanese. And it's very interesting that there's so much energy on the part of non-Japanese doing that. Um, but at the same time, there are lots of Japanese doing it as well. And and that's something we shouldn't we shouldn't forget. So it would be great to sort of link up with more of the Japanese local uh, uh, practitioners. Yeah, as well. absolutely. And now you have you've sent me so many beautiful photos. Uh, I'm just going to put one up here. Is this you said Iwami Ginzan in Shimane? Is that right? Yes, Iwami Ginzan. Um, Iwami Ginzan is very interesting because it was the site of very important silver mines during the Edo period, which were. Uh, you know, very tightly controlled. Uh, the the miners themselves, they were men. Uh, they uh, had contracts apparently, but it was a very, very grueling lifestyle with, uh, you know, not, not much freedom at all. Their, their comings and goings were very tightly controlled. There were also, uh, you know, geisha, etc. women there working, um, you know, basically in the sex industry for them. Um, and there was a fair amount of violence there as well. Uh, but this became uh, one of the, you know, a fairly early Japanese um, World Heritage Site for UNESCO. Uh, and I guess this is back, I'm thinking, 15 years ago. And I should check the date before I make my presentation, uh, about 15 years ago. And what we've seen in other cases where places, and it's not just Japan, uh, other places in the world where sites become world heritage, often they become over-touristed and somehow destroyed by that. And this is something that, you know, our mutual colleague Alex Carr talks about very well. Uh, for instance, uh, in Shirakawa Gulf, uh, you know, they almost lost their status because they were building these huge concrete, you know, bus parking lots and things. So when this process was beginning and Iwami Ginzan became on the list, uh, you know, being proposed, some local uh, local merchants, there's a company called Gugendo, Gugendo uh, which is kind of brilliant. They, they do, are you familiar with that company? They um, use traditional textiles, uh, traditional dyeing and weaving, and make sort of new fashionable garments from that. And they also make um, other things, household items, uh, you know, as well, with very traditional uh, techniques, but sort of a new spirit of design. Uh, and they're from there. The families is from there and uh, the Matsuba family. And uh, they sort of took the leadership on this and, hey, we don't want to ruin this town because of this new status and, and, and tourism that's going to destroy it. Let's set an example. And one of the first things they did was restore an old samurai house to use as a kind of yokan. It's called abeke. And it's kind of a special thing. It's actually like a membership. It's kind of an unusual format, but it's beautiful. And a moment ago, you showed a picture of the kitchen there. It's beautifully restored. Uh, hospitality is fantastic. This is where everybody eats in this kitchen. And look at the commodore. Look at that stove. 
Uh, it's got like six fireboxes and they're cooking that. And, you know, uh, there's another wood burning stove there. It's just fantastic. And that's where people come together and the, the food is Oh my is gosh, fabulous. I love it. So um, are they and, all Kamado in different yeah. designs? There, I see three. In this one over here, basically, this is this is you can see three fireboxes on this side, and I think on the opposite side there's a couple more. Uh, and there, I don't think they have a gas range in wow. the whole kitchen. They may, <laughs> but I don't think they do. But the main thing is they're cooking on the kamado, and uh, and of course that implements a kind of you know sense of time for this. You know, learning how to cook rice on the kamado that's a, yeah. that's a big deal, right? So I was um, I was talking with uh, they're, they're doing... Kyle Holsuter the other day. And uh, they yeah, they use one in their house. They don't use gas anywhere in the whole permaculture center. Yeah, yeah. He's made this great you know stove system, and he makes a lot of yeah. uh, ovens too, right? Amazing. He's a great oven builder, and it's it's a wonderful technique. And there's other people who are doing that. But um, the thing is that the company is headquartered there and that's where they actually make things so there was a the kayabuki farmhouse you saw there that actually is attached to the company as a kind of a meeting place a cultural place uh, for the community and uh, i actually think they moved it from somewhere else and and you know re re reconstructed restored it and it, it's sort of a beautiful thing right there you know off the main road in town as part well integrated into this company that's making these wonderful traditional items, you know, for people who live now, for people like us. Uh, and the other thing they did was they said, we are going to try to set an example for how uh, buildings in the, the main town should be restored. And, um, you know, because that's, it can get very trashy very easily. So they got a few properties. They have their main store there, which the, they did the facade, of course, very beautifully. Um, they actually had the designer Sato Taku, who's a fantastic uh, product and, and graphic and, and marketing design person. He was one of the people who started the 2121 Design Site Museum in Tokyo. And he's brilliant. And he was the design director and did it in this wonderful, you know, earthy but witty way. Uh, and then other buildings, you know, in the town that they have had an influence on restoring uh, in, in a very high quality, uh, very traditional way. So um, basically, in, in many situations, the most important thing is to have someone to set an example and to show people what can be done. And in this case, uh, the Matsubas, and of course, it's connected with their company, but of course, with their roots in the town, they, they did that. And uh, it's it's really remarkable. And I think, you know, over time, you know, these things, they, they take on a life of their own. People get it, you know, and they want to do the same thing. So it's kind of a wonderful example. There's probably a few more pictures I sent you about yeah. that. We can look at this. this I just town, love the, the, the all of these baskets. They're just gorgeous. Yeah, that's at Abeke. That's at Abeke. That's at this okay. restored samurai house. Uh, and, you know, it, everything's like this there. Uh, even if you look at the, the, the paving on the, f the floor there, it's, it's tile, it's traditional tile, but it's a modern paving, but it works beautifully, uh, with everything else. And, you know, they've left the wall in a very wabi-sabi kind of, you know, aged way and find all these things. That's the other thing. What a lot of people don't realize is many towns, smaller towns, rural towns, uh, where one may find, uh, an old farmhouse that looks attractive 
you will find lots of old stuff, uh, farm implements, you know, maybe some garments, some furnishings, uh, baskets, and all sorts of other things. So these all help tell the story. And, and to me, in a very palpable uh, way, convey the sensibility and, and the skill and the materiality of what what life was like. At least it hopefully it's an inspiration that people can say, yes, this is beautiful stuff, and and my life yeah. should be. As and beautiful. a lot of uh, like the basket weaving, uh, so many different shapes. Like what what was that for? They all look very specific. It's all connected to culture, They're right? All very specific, right? A lot of that is fairly, I mean, I would say lost knowledge, but I can see some, I know these are scoops, you know, some are strainers, you know, there's one that's sort of a ring that's kind of a, a cushion for a hot pot. And, you know, little by little, you can learn what they're for. Uh, but it's true. This is incredible language of design, a language of functionality. And of course, that functionality is based on the lifestyle of the time. And, and, and what they were using and eating and how they were preparing things and how they were living. So a lot of it is now for us, just the beauty of the form and, and how it's made remains. But these were all everyday utilitarian implements. And if they were woven from bamboo or maybe some things are woven from straw or something else, you know, these were not intended to be used for that long. You know, they had a replacement cycle. So these were, you know, they would be made beautifully, but after a while you'd have to make a new one. But so then it's kind it of would a, go a back to nature. To How beautiful is that, right? Instead of nature, a plastic bucket. It's the compost heap. <laughs> yep, it's in the compost heap. It's going to be burned for fuel. The ashes are going to be used somehow. Uh, it all goes back. Or maybe the bamboo becomes something else, right? So it's a remarkable, remarkable yeah, thing. Fantastic. So. And then is this the mm -hmm. same area or is mm -hmm. this? This is also there. This is also part of this, um, the the Abike, the the samurai house, and you know they've they've have places, bedrooms scattered around, and there's like a kura, and there's some other stuff, and they just did this sort of minimal remodel in a way where you can't really tell what's new and what's old, which is just really brilliant. Uh, so of course there's this wood stove. This is kind of like a place for people to sit you know, downstairs. And I think upstairs here are bedrooms. Uh, uh, so it's kind of like a, a public area and uh, you can just sort of sit there. I like what they've done with or, the, or the shoji doors. Instead of putting white paper in, they've just put glass behind. Well, I think this is original glass. I almost sent you some photos of the original glass. It's this beautiful old uh, sort of pattern frosted glass in many of the places. So this was probably original there. And, uh, and, but again, you don't, I don't know. It's done so well that you can't really tell it all sits right and, and feels like it belongs and feels like it was there forever. Uh, so that's kind of a magic uh, of design. You have to have a very, you know, well-developed design sensibility to be able to, yeah. to do that. So I think they're, they're great and other people yeah. can, can learn. And like we saw at the Minka Summit yeah. last year, uh, there were some of these wood fire stove cellars there. That seems to be a key component yeah. for a lot of people that move out to the rural areas to have these wood burning stoves, right? Yeah, it, and, and, you know, even talking with people recently that I'm, I'm talking with about potential projects and things, um, there is the, uh, the practical side because many people do have a uh, wood available to use for firewood. Uh, but there's also this sensibility, the, the emotional side that you don't want to use, you know, 
the fossil fuels. You don't want to have propane gas or whatever the alternative would is. Because as you know, in, in rural areas, if you're going to use gas for heating, it's going to be propane because there's rarely going to be a city gas line there. Or if you're going to use electricity, then you're really using a lot of electricity, especially in these houses. But also, you know, a wood fire has a, a different feeling and it has an aroma. Uh, you know, in the old days, these, you know, wood, wood, wood fires, especially like in a Rory or an open fire, they were so smoky. It was really bad for people's health. And it, it's fortunate that we don't have to have that. But uh, it really feels nice, right? The, the, the part of a kind of mindfulness as well, that you have to tend the fire. You know, you push on a switch and the gas comes on. That's one thing. But for a, a wood fire, it's like, oh, we stir the fire, you know. Oh, we put another piece of wood. It's uh, something that you're having a kind of dialogue with. And it's a nice rhythm to that as well. So I definitely understand that. Uh, there's a lot of other options, you know, pellet stoves and other sort of hybrid things that are more automated. But in this case, this is uh, an antique pot-bellied stove, uh, which, you know, were basically introduced to Japan in the Meiji period. Westerners brought them and, and adapted and, and they became very common throughout the country, especially in cold, yeah. cold weather places. Uh, and it also has a kind of, yeah, story. Yeah, it, it looks too. like, and this is something I love when you're seeing people uh, remodel these old Japanese houses, is they're not afraid to add things that look like they won't fit, but once they get them in there, they actually look really <laughs> nice, that fusion of different different influences, <laughs> right? Well, you know, you've talked to a lot of people who are doing this sort of thing. And I bet you've gotten, you know, people have different reactions to it. Some people probably really agonize, you know, is it terrible if I put the stove here? You know, is it terrible? Will it ruin it? But, you know, people should use their imagination and improvise and do whatever suits them. Uh, and if it suits, you know, what you want, it, it, the, the place you, you live, what you're, what you're designing and building for yourself or possibly for your family, that, that can be uh, one of the, the more, uh, the, the deeper expressions of your identity and, and what's important to you. So, yeah, if the wood stove is important, definitely do the wood stove. Uh, if you want to paint the walls blue, like some people we know, paint the walls blue. Uh, I think, you know, this is, people should not be shy to do that. Uh, and I do think there's kind of a, a divide or a kind of a interesting, uh, let's say an evolutionary branch that's happened between sort of uh, what I would say is a more a local, uh, and maybe even authentic Japanese approach to doing things. And then the sort of things that foreigners, non-Japanese are more likely to want to introduce. Uh, I mean, everybody w wants comfort, you know, uh, people want some good lighting, even if they like the general atmosphere of dim lighting, most of the time they want good lighting. But I feel like maybe often non-Japanese are more adventurous about how much they were willing to change what's actually yeah. going on in the space. Uh, I don't have any hard evidence for that, but just looking no, around no, that's, and seeing Yeah, a that's lot, the sense that's that just, I get. And like visiting John Stolenmeyer's mm. uh, redesign of an old house and mm. showroom and how he got rid yeah. of the Engawa. He just made the inside space yeah. bigger. And there's a lot of people that love to keep the Engawa because that's that's a beautiful design of old houses, right? I yeah. keep it. <laughs> so it, it, I like yeah. both yeah. ways. Everybody's making very good decisions. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. So, yeah, it's so different because, uh, again, we're fortunate. We're living in a time where we have that sort of social freedom 
um, to do things the way we want. And even Japanese people expect that. I mean, this you know, it's tied to this renewed sense of, of rights and individuality. And even though Japan is still maybe less individualistic than America, uh, that is probably a good thing. Uh, people still feel like, yeah, they should be able to do things the way they want, just the way I like it. Uh, and um, uh, in the old days, I mean, in the past in Japan, and certainly in most countries, there was a lot of judgment uh about what people are doing oh he you know he painted the walls blue you know <laughs> uh you can't do that uh so and, and things sort of on the other hand things had this coherence because they were done in a very similar way a similar language similar feeling uh differences in old farmhouses may primarily be indicating the age of the house or the status of the occupants. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they were basically in a very, very similar form. And when you went into them, people were living in a very similar way. So now everybody can live differently. Uh, it's like, you know, Stuart has the screening room upstairs in, you know, his house and stuff. So this is yeah. kind of really interesting. So, um, Maybe there is a divergence and maybe we'll see a kind of evolution yeah, you, of you that. You mentioned it before uh, too about, um, that international residents a feeling less inhibited to break rules yeah. uh as something i've I seen so. in uh um, international residents houses remodel those houses they'll put a table onto tummy for example <laughs> but with a rug underneath and i i think it can work with a i rug. mean that seems like a, a trial rule that you should never break like in traditional japanese houses but it sometimes works as, as long as yeah. i'm not wearing no, their shoes you. there no, right? no. no but but look but i but i know that many japanese households end up uh doing the same thing putting a, a rug down and putting like they'll have a japanese room tatami room and then eventually the kid gets old enough and they need a room to do their homework. So they get the desk and they put a rug on the tatami and they put a desk on it. So that is not that uncommon. Uh, but yeah, if you're going to put a table, you better, you should have a wooden floor <laughs> underneath it. I, I mean, think we, we just had because you'll end up with when dimples we were remodeling our house because we had a few tatami rooms yeah. and we had a few wood, hard wood floors. And the remodeler said yeah. it's impossible or very difficult to make a tatami room. It's very easy to change it to a hardwood floor. It's very hard to make a tatami yes. room. So we kept yes. the tatami and we're really happy with that. So it's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. In terms of layout, though, um, you know, imagine I mean, houses of many kinds, but imagine if you have four tatami rooms sort of in a square and there's fusuma or maybe there's a wall between some of them. Um, you know, maybe originally this one was wood floor from the old days and the rest were tatami. But it's in terms of planning, if someone wants to adapt something for a different reason, there's no reason not to turn the tatami room into a wood floor room. And yes, it's easier to turn a tatami room into a wood floor room than reverse because the tatami requires a depth and, and the subfloor has to be lowered. And that means the wooden structure underneath the subfloor has to have that several centimeters of depth for it. Uh, it's very a real pain to try to make that space later. Uh, an option you see often is then to make that a raised floor with tatami. And, and we see this, that's also a very traditional thing. Uh, I, I was at the, you know, uh, Japan uh, Khan yesterday, the, the Folkcraft Museum with some students from uh, Sweden, 
from a wonderful uh, cabinet making program uh, that a friend of mine runs. And uh, we went to the Minge Khan and we went to Yanagi. So it's his house, which is on the opposite side, the western side. And they had that beautiful layout with a, a wooden floored room with a beautiful dining table and chairs and photos of them having wonderful dinner in the 1930s. And then a step up to the room next to it, which was the tatami. So this definitely would work. This is definitely an option for anybody who's you know, agonizing about how to change the wooden floor to tatami. Yeah, make a step up and that'll work. Uh, but it's interesting. People have to think, you know, houses are, are living in, in their way. They accommodate to us. They, they learn from us in a way. There's a wonderful book by Stuart Brand called How Buildings Learn. And it's about how we change the buildings and the buildings accommodate our changing needs and desires. And just because this particular layout or form is historically authentic doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And there's a lot of ways to, to change them to fit better. So, yeah, we should take the freedom, uh, approach it with a sense of freedom uh, and to find a, find ways that this really suits what we want in our personality and expresses That's that. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, where is this next photo? <laughs> Uh, this is in the town, I want to say, uh, you know, I have a, one photo of Sasayama, Tamba Sasayama, and one photo of Iwami Ginzan. These are very similar. I think this is Iwami Ginzan, which again was restored very, very well. Uh, it, it's taken a bit of time, but uh, restored very, very well into this old, you know, uh, kind of a post town entering I Iwami Ginzan and on both sides of the street. Yeah, this is definitely Iwami Ginzan. Um, you know, the buildings, uh, uh, some of them are very old, Edo period. A lot of them are Meiji. There's even uh, quite a few that are Showa, but they they had that harmony. And as people were thinking about, um, you know, how to, uh, you know, uh, redesign or reconfigure things, uh, partly for this expected influx of tourists because of the, um, you know, world heritage status, um, they basically did a very good job in, in many cases, very simply making this quite harmonious and, and very traditional in feeling. So there's different shops, uh, very uh, good local economy, as I understand, and some other kind of spaces that are kind of special. Do you see a picture there that has like a candlelight? If you can put that up, I gave you one that had candlelight. And there's one other with candlelight. There's, again, the Gungendo people uh, renovated one of the buildings on this, you know, central road, uh, simply to use as a candlelight space uh, for nighttime, for evening gatherings and events, uh, poetry readings or music or something. Uh, and you go there, and this is a group I was with some years ago visiting. It's it's magical. Uh, we forget that um, the quality of light was in the evening from candles and from lamps, uh, very, very different from what we expect. And it, again, lends a kind of magic to things, to, to everything. Uh, so this is like an artistic space. And there's some interesting new designs there. You know, they made this big irori where people can sit around, etc. cetera. Uh, and this, this photo of the candles is also there. We forget that. And again, these candles have this wonderful aroma. Uh, the candle stands themselves, you know, they have this, they're, they're tall, you know, and they bring the light to, if you're sitting on the floor, that becomes sort of an eye-level light. Uh, so it's a really wonderful thing. So that's a, a wonderfully poetic thing to do, again, to, to kind of remind people 
of what the sensibility is that we're trying to preserve, what kinds of sensibilities we're trying to preserve. Uh, and in this case, it's an aesthetic space, which could would be considered incredibly luxurious. But as we know, in, in many places, so many towns in Japan, these buildings are just vacant. They're shuttered. So why not simply renovate one? And they did a very light renovation. You can see the wall, the, you know, the plaster is still, you know, scarred and scraped. They did a very minimal clean up and renovation and sort of left it the way it was and simply illuminated it. That's really interesting. I know in the town of Mitarai, who um, I know a few people who are trying Mm. to rebuild that traditional historical port town. And uh, one of the things they're doing with the art festival and just opening up the houses that are vacant during the art festival time Mm. and just allowing people to put up art inside, just clean it up, let people look Mm -hmm. inside of it. And that in itself adds appeal as well. Very interesting. This is interesting. And I I just happened to be reading, you know, a a, a book, a translation from about Japanese contemporary art. uh, And and some of it is chronicling, uh, you know, projects and events and festivals that began to happen in rural areas pretty much beginning in the 1990s. The Echigo Tsumari Festival, which is up in the Niigata area, uh, was one great example. And that was one of the earliest ones where uh, people made homes or shops available for artists to do little installations and exhibitions. And it became a well-known thing. Uh, You've been to Naoshima, I'm sure. Naoshima has the art houses. Uh, And again, a lot of vacant houses uh, that they were able to get use of and and doing often very, very ambitious, I mean, very well-known, prominent artists, you know, world-famous artists coming there to to transform that house into an aesthetic experience for people. And this is happening in many places in Japan. And sometimes, as you mentioned, it may be a very brief event. Uh, In some places, there is the funding and the wherewithal, the, the, the vision and the organization to make it, uh, you know, a more permanent or sort of a long-term thing. But I think this, the lesson for me is that simply going into the old house is a wonderful experience. Uh, people, it's full of things that talk to you. It's full of things that, you know, even if you're Japanese, it's still a bit unfamiliar. And, you know, what's with that beam? What's with that window? What's on the floor? Uh, and, and often when these sort of art projects are done, artists often maintain as much of that as possible. So it's it's an interesting thing that's been d- developing, again, for, you know, uh, more than 20 years. And and there's a lot of know-how about how to do that. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a great example. And I would encourage them to do more. And hopefully you get some permanent things there that become a reason for people who are interested in art to come see that. Uh, so it can happen. We know, you know, uh, now Shima did it. Other places have done that. So it's definitely one of the approaches to, uh, you know, reutilizing yeah. old houses. <clears throat> this picture you have here reminds me a little bit of in Ehime. I visited a beautiful, uh, charming traditional town, which has really been preserved called Uchiko. Yeah. And uh, they have these big outside. Mm-hmm. They look like engawas there, like benches on the outside and yeah. people locals and visitors alike when they walk up these long streets they just sit and they chat and they use it yeah. as a resting place and i just thought what a simple beautiful idea and it's under the under the eaves you know under the noki so if it's raining you sit there for a little while and wait for the rain to stop i mean this is 
just very, you know, ancient knowledge about how to make a street where people can be comfortable. Uh, but it's beautiful. And these probably, in many cases, they fold up at night, you know. Um, we have a lot of that in Kyoto. Maybe some of these don't, but it's a simple accommodation uh, of what we call an affordance. It's, it is a way to uh, enable a certain function to happen. Uh, and this was common, I think, in many places uh, in Japan in the old days. I'm from New Orleans. It was very similar in New Orleans. There was just lots of benches and seats and stuff under the you know, the balconies along the, the, the street would be covered with balconies, you know, and there's all these shops. And then, you know, the shop owners wanted people to hang out and come. They hang out for a while. They'll come into the shop. So that's just, you know, normal human, uh, you know, town building. Uh, yeah, it knowledge. makes sense. And if people hang around. They're more likely mm. to spend money. <laughs> exactly. It's... Exactly. Again, New Orleans, I'm looking for because I'm Are going you? back okay. to New Orleans for the first time. Several years over Golden Week, and I won't be that long, but, you know, so much of what my thinking, my feeling about um, what's important in towns and buildings and houses and, uh, is, is due to, to having grown up in New Orleans and having seen the continuity of those approaches and that they're still valid, even though we're in the modern age, so much of that is still valid. It gets forgotten. It gets rediscovered. Uh, you know, it's certainly places can become fake in Disneyland. New Orleans has that aspect. But but the simple thing of having a place where people can shelter from the rain or sit down and talk to somebody. This is so basic and human all over the world. It's you wonder why people forget that and make, you know, yeah, streets absolutely. You want places yeah. that people yeah. uh, it enhances their lives. And uh, they have shade as yeah. we're getting hotter and hotter times of year. Uh, this looks like a beautiful shady There's path. Two. Where are we looking at here? Yeah, this was this is the courtyard of the Gungendo main shop uh, there in Iwami Ginzan. And I mentioned again, it, it was Sato Tak was the art director and you know worked on the design. And again, it's it's kind of a light touch, uh, but magical. Uh, so obviously this sort of wooden, you know, uh, pathway, that's going to be a new thing, but the buildings are, you know, primarily, uh, intact and extant, uh, this wonderful vine above that, that was just this vine that was growing wild. They said, this is great. We're going to keep that. Uh, and they just simply made it, made places and little entrances to go into one part of the shop or the other. Uh, and again, it, it's a journey. It's a, like, like Japanese gardens, uh, often are. You know, you just you don't really know what's going to be around that corner. You can't quite see yet. Uh, it's just a little curving path. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and yeah, a lot of fun as well. Uh, so, of course, all of these all the pottery and things carefully placed. Right. It's designed. Uh, it's not just left there because someone was, you know, feeling something. It's designed, but uh, but beautifully designed in a way that feels totally natural uh, and makes yeah, you want to explore. Absolutely. How about this mm. one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the exterior of that house uh, with the, okay. the, the candlelight. This is the daytime view. It yeah. looks really rough, right? They yeah. barely did. You can see the entry door, how they sort of boarded that up and made a simple entryway. And then the Amado, uh, you know, the shutters on the outside, they did that in a very, very simple way as well uh, and left it in a fairly weathered and aged state which again is perfect. Uh, you know, it's all there and uh, it's been there, you know, waiting for us. You can look at the downspout, the drain pipe, et cetera, you know, bamboo, that's new, right? But uh, 
but again, fits in perfectly with 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 the sense of so the very little uh, remodeling going on. But they're they have that interesting idea of lighting it up with yeah. candles at night to uh, yeah. create yeah. a romance. And in this photo, yeah. yeah, 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 and that photo you just showed again with the light, like simple things like the back wall just had this sort of uh, bamboo or something sort of sort of tacked to the wall, you know, in front of the, you know, the, 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 the shoji in the back and just another sort of interior layer, this sort of layered in a very simple way. Uh, and I would have to say, you know, incredibly inexpensive to do this. Uh, but just again, uh, for the sake of the aesthetics and as a place for people to come together. And this is this, again, this ties back to what we're talking about, having a place to sit uh, on the street you know, this is about people having opportunities to run into each other, to strike up a conversation, to continue their relationships. And, and in a, I think in a well-designed or well-evolved town, um, this happens as a kind of network of places around the town where people encounter each other and they talk or they see someone else and they say, I was just talking to so-and-so and this is what happened. Uh, it's very pedestrian. You know, this is, they're not driving through this town. Of course, to get there, you probably need a car, but in the town, people are walking. So this is an important thing to understand how, how to enable that to emerge and also how easy it is to kill it. <laughs> Which is one of the big lessons of yeah. You know, well, the that's modern. one of the things that we saw in Fukushima, in the town of Odaka, right? Yeah. That they have these outside mm -hmm. communal gardens and communal sitting areas mm -hmm. where they can strike up a conversation yes. and check on each other, and uh, that's an important part of yeah. community building, right? Yes, and and as you know, you saw that Odaka, you know, after the. Uh, you know, earthquake, um, there was a lot of seriously damaged buildings there, uh, which were eventually uh, demolished and taken down. So there's just a lot of vacant lots. You go to the town, it's, it's, it's has a life and a certain, let's say a texture of vitality. Uh, but between one shop and the next, there may be two vacant lots and across the streets, there's going to be more vacant lots. Um, so they've done a good job of sort of making use of those for, like you said, gardens or temporary events, or it's going to be a tea stall or during the festivals is when it really, you know, comes alive. Uh, and that street is lined with things and all those lots are full of people doing things. But um, it's important, yeah, that these things are given life somehow, uh, given an identity uh, that the, the definition of the place is somehow made. Uh, so this is the garden. You can do what you want here. Or this is a place where you can just sit. Uh, this is enough. We think it has to be something super special. It doesn't have to be special. It can be, it, it can be or often is very mundane. Uh, sometimes it's just a bus stop. You know, bus stops can be wonderful. Uh, if there's a place to sit, you know, uh, or something else, and you, you meet people, you talk, uh, these things are kind of magic in their way. So, yeah, o Odaka, the people there really understand it. And as you know, uh, some people are regretting that uh, so many buildings were demolished. And this was partly because of the government policy that they would uh, pay for it if they do it quickly. Uh, so a lot of buildings that didn't have a lot of damage were still demolished because then they could get the money to rebuild something new. Uh, and in some cases, that's a clear, you know, let's say rational decision. In other cases, it's just, well, you know, let's just go ahead and do it. So the town did sort of lose a lot of its 
its structure and, and mm. texture because of that. But then uh, this is all up and down the Tohoku coast. I mean, every town has something similar, but Odaka, they kind of are into it and, and are showing, you know, that there's a way to move forward and uh, in a way that people who come from the outside yeah. are interested. And to then see, when right? we saw entrepreneurs take over some of the old buildings and make it into new yes. sake breweries, for example, that was so exciting, brewery, right? People from the yeah. outside coming in. Uh, and, and, it, and it required having a few visionary people in the town who understood how important that would be and how good it could be. So, yes, people coming in and even, yeah, the Hakuba Brewery in Odaka, um, that was not a very old building. That was like a Showa period building or maybe even early Heisei building. But they did it in a way that, you know, showed the structure and it had all that drama and wooden beams and things still. So really, 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 really well done. So that is always the key. And this is something that I, I want to talk about during the Minka Summit is, you know, it's one thing to um, yeah, preserve something, to restore it uh, in, in a way that sort of freezes it in time. Uh, and where we can go and see how did people live back then. And there's lots of museum examples all through Japan where towns have somehow, um, you know, restored, sponsored the, 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 the restoration of, a, of an old farmhouse. Uh, but it's simply like a museum. Uh, and uh, what we really need throughout these small towns is, is younger people to come in. So the question is, what can you do that helps younger people see that there are opportunities here, uh, that there's something nice, something beautiful, something meaningful that already exists that they can join to. Uh, their fate, they're going to link their fate to the fate of this town for a while, uh, and and they want to stay there. And uh, again, we talk about Fukushima, Odaka. There's you know a number of cases of younger people moving there because they saw those opportunities uh, in places that I'm looking at. Iwami Ginzan is one. Uh, Tamba Sasayama is another place that I, I expect to talk about. Um, it took a long time. It took about a decade, I think. Uh, but I think they were successful in doing that. So, yeah, this is actually a house in Tamba Sasayama, uh, a photo from a visit before the disaster, uh, where, you know, the, the, what, what I saw happening in Tamba Sasayama, there was one a uh, local uh, local government person who had the vision to to make Tambasasayama attractive for young people to move to and uh, one of the projects that he was looking at was was restoring this beautiful old farmhouse which was you know nestled right into the hills and and where i'm standing is a dandan batake so it's a terraced rice field uh and it's a beautiful old house and his vision was that this would be transformed into a kind of um uh you know culture center or or conference center and again there was enough know-how to do that now i don't think this succeeded uh and i'm looking at this and looking for more information about it I don't think it succeeded. Maybe if it has, I'll know between now and, and, and when I talk on Saturday. Uh, but many other things this person implemented did. When I visited back in around 2010, uh, there were in the, the town of Tambasasayama, uh, which is in Hyogo Prefecture, um, was a, a, a jokamachi, an old castle town. Uh, at the time, the castle was not really restored in any significant way. It was sort of beginning to be restored, uh, but the, the old town was largely intact. 
It didn't suffer during the war. It had not had major disasters. There were, there were quite a lot of old buildings, but they were vacant. The population was already aging and nobody was there. These were becoming shuttered. And this town official, uh, you know, had the idea to um, reach out to uh, people. Uh, to, to let it be known that uh, they were going to subsidize people who were willing to come to the town uh, to take over an old machia, an old townhouse, an old shop house, uh, and do something new there. And um, when I was there, there was like one or two sort of more historical buildings that were important, uh, and maybe two or three recent shops. Now, the whole town apparently is, is booming. It's it's just full of shops. It's it succeeded in turning itself into a tourist destination, particularly to see this old townscape. Uh, and you know, when I was there at the, at the time, again, this is ten years ago. It was um, one of the shops was like a a tea shop. It was a Chinese tea shop. Someone said we're going to make a shop that serves Chinese tea. That was 10 years ago. That was fairly, fairly visionary. Yeah, this is some of the old buildings there. And some of them, again, are are, are preserved, you know, uh, partly as museums, partly as historical sites. But the main thing is that many people are able to move to the town uh, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, revitalize the economic activity and the other activity of the town. Uh, and again, I'm thinking it took a decade. It took a decade. This is part of Tambasasayama. This is the village of Mariyama. And again, go back 10 years and look at what, what happened now. Um, this town had several nice old farmhouses. And this, again, this town, uh, you know, official, uh, he said, we will help you uh, restore and renovate these houses uh, if you turn them into uh, ryokan or lodging. And so several of the houses in, in, in this village of Mariyama became ryokan. And one of the interesting things was, you know, you'd go there, you stay, it's nice, very well done. Even again, this is, you know, uh, 13 years ago or so, um, the, 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 the technical ability, there were enough carpenters there uh, who knew how to do this well, very well done, very comfortable, all, everything we're talking about, about retrofitting the insulation and making it comfortable is all there, making nice, you know, the kitchen, restoring the doma and everything in a place where people feel comfortable sitting. Also a nice wood stove so people can sit there at night and, you know, feed the stove. And in the morning, the women, you know, from the village come and bring breakfast. So they've like cooked breakfast at their own house and bring it and come and bring breakfast. I had a, a picture of that. And now, you know, some of these uh, inns are still running. They, they're continuing to run. It's been successful. Uh, and and they, they, they've upped their cuisine game. There's also one very, very fine restaurant in the town, in this village as well. Uh, so this is the sort of thing people can do. But for it to really come together, uh, yes, this is this is Sasayama. So um it, it we have to expect that it's going to take time, and that means a certain commitment to that. That means patience. Uh, that also means, in a way, uh, accepting or adopting the time sensibility of people from the earlier generations who knew that you have to wait for good things. So I I think it's really interesting, and there may be a few other examples I'll show about. Uh, show that are, are in a similar way and other places where there is potential. Now, are they making the investment to uh, dig the lines underground? Because I'm noticing these classic townscapes, they yes. don't have lines. There you go. They put the, they put the power lines underground. Again, that's a major infrastructure investment. 
but it's part of you know making the town uh, feel right. And um, again, I'm not sure exactly when they did that, but uh, that's definitely part of it. This is always one of the big challenges. It's kind of a running joke in Japan, right? Uh, you know, power lines and, and, and some of us actually, we come to love them in a per perverse way, <laughs> you know, uh, in my neighborhood, there, there's crows on them going, ka, 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 and sometimes you know? the view uh, of the sunset through all the lines is, is quite picturesque. Yeah. It could be dramatic. Uh, you can, yeah. Authentic, authentic power, power lines. lines. Yeah. You can, this is Louise Poppy yeah, chiming in. Hi, right. Louise Poppy. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark has asked, yeah, he says so, he's enjoyed reading your books just enough and Japanese dream house. Any more books on the way? Good question. Um, let's say in the conceptual stage, yes. Uh, in the actual writing stage, no. But I really uh, I want to write a book about Fukushima and and touching on some of the things we we were talking about. Uh, everyone talks about the disaster and and the bad things that happened, but I want to talk about what I've learned uh, from spending you know so much wonderful time with people in fukushima and so i'm that's let's say in the note stage but no no other real book i have other books you know uh sort of ready to go um uh, if a publisher wants them you know in other aspects but um yeah that's something for me i really want to to think about and yeah. write about well when you were guiding us around your passion was so clear that 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 really would be a great book. You have so much depth of knowledge. You have this great picture showing the underside of the thatch. It is just incredible. I always show people when we're doing tours the underside because it's incredible to look at, isn't it? Yeah, this, the, these are old thatch roof houses. These are Kayabuki, but again, it was simply the cost issue at the time, as I understand it. And uh, you know, so they, they, they made them very well. I believe the thatch is still preserved underneath. But we see this very, very commonly. It would be nice to, um, you know, if they were at some point restored to thatch, that would be nice, I suppose. But uh, they still are pretty nice even the way they uh, are. Japanese uh, farmhouses, or this is actually uh, a gatehouse, sort of a samurai house. And uh, uh, but and again, there's sort of this, um, what would you call it, uh, uh, many samurai lived in rural areas and they were still still doing farming and other things. And so in, in many rural parts of Japan, samurai houses are very similar to farmhouses. So this, I think the fact that it's a gatehouse is what tips it off. Uh, but yeah, this would be mainly for the smoke to get out. Uh, and, and we see this very, very commonly. And this goes back actually like to the Jomon period. If you look at how they built these thatched pit dwellings in the Jomon period, you know, thousands of years BC, they had that same little window uh, up at the top of the roof under the ridge for the smoke to get out. Interesting. And then is this a Ranma that they have repurposed for the front? This is more like uh, an Udatsu. I believe this is actually the house that was turned into the it's Chinese beautiful. tea shop. So again, it may have been an antique carved board that they put in there to use as a kind of sign for for the shop. Uh, but uh, this town has some beautiful udatsu. You know, udatsu are these sort of wings that stick out from the facade that have these own little roofs, uh, which was a sort of a sign of shops. And uh, the more elaborate they were, the more you know prosperous the merchant was. And this is something that we, we find in, in many parts of Japan. So uh, it's kind of interesting, sort of a, a sign, a, a carved uh, sign, which Rama are rarely vertical, right? 
so this was definitely some other some other thing yeah yeah beautiful and then looking at the design of this house, yeah, so this, this isn't thatch. This, this is was, this. This was the uh, the uh, castle. The, the okay. what's part uh, on the castle grounds. They restored uh, parts of the castle, etc. And again, it, this is a major investment on the part of the town. And of course, the Bunkacho, that you know, cultural ministry will be involved in that. It takes a long time to do that. Um, you know, a, a lot of hoops to jump through in order to get, um, you know, permission and funding from uh, uh, the cultural ministry to do this sort of thing. But yeah, it then now it's restored to enough where people would want to come see it. It's beautiful. Uh, not a very big castle, sort of a small castle town. And again, no wires overhead, I noticed. No wires here. No wires, yeah. And is that compressed uh, wood on the roof? It's not, it predates thatch, doesn't it? Um, no, this is shingle. It's shingle. a it's a shingle roof. So what we call in English cedar shakes. Uh, so yes, Hiwarabuki. It's it's a very you know common roofing, uh, fairly uh, let's say high grade. Uh, we would I mean often you see them on on temples and and sometimes this would be on a castle building. It's a fairly high grade thing. You'll see them on tea houses as well. Um, it, it's very labor intensive. Uh, and, you know, also requires upkeep. So um, it's less rural uh, than a, a thatch roof. But often, you know, even places that were originally uh, roofed with that uh, cedar shingles, you know, eventually they would be converted to a tile roof. A tile is just very, very durable, more, much more durable. And, and in fact, less labor intensive to, to both, you know, uh, install in the first place and to maintain. But it's beautiful. It, it you know, you, you, I'm sure you've seen them many places. I remember the first time I first visited Kyoto, you know, 30 something years ago and going to Ryoanji Temple. And there were places where I could just see that really up close and going, my God, that's exquisite. Yeah. It, it, we, it, we have it at Itsukushima Shrine in Miyajima. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely uh, beautiful. But again, it's very expensive and, uh, there's been quite a re revival of thatching, I think, especially since uh, Shirakawa Go was made into a World Heritage Site. Many people went there. It was re required for them to maintain that, so they had to continue have constant training for thatchers to do that. And I think many people who trained there went to other parts of the country, or they were already from other parts of the country, came there to learn. And now you can find good thatchers all around the world. I think uh, it's harder to find people who can do a good uh, cedar shingle roof and you'll find very few instances where the the money's there to do it yeah there is one section i always point out to guests where you can see a recent re remodel of it oh, yeah. and and so that gives me hope that there's still the knowledge that there are still craftspeople who know how to do it there are and and we'll, hopefully there will be more uh, as more people, you know, want to do that. But yeah, it's this, this intricate thing. Um, I mean, it's hard to talk about it without a picture, but, you know, of course, the, when you look at from the, the edge, the, you know, at the eaves, these shingles are in these layers, you know, just dozens of layers. And at the bottom, there are, the, again, the cedar wood in a slightly thicker pieces that are like on an angle and, and this wonderful rhythm that sort of goes across that and uh, which is sort of the supporting that from the bottom it's just a beautiful to me very japanese uh and and reflects you know the japanese sensibility uh i mean this architecture basically came from uh, china and korea in the ancient days where they were basically doing tile roofs but the japanese to make this out of wood and shingles was a, a very local 
aesthetic, I think, and and they do it as an exquisite, you know, to do it as beautifully as possible. So, yes, that may be something we should start to look around is who can do good, uh, you know, cedar cedar uh, shake roofs. Yeah, it's it's passing on. So that that's the same thing I feel when you see a temple or a building that has new tile, new traditional mm -hmm. Japanese tile. And I'm thinking on the one hand, there's so much disused old tile that could be reused. But isn't that great that they're teaching and preserving yeah. the culture for new craftspeople to keep working on that? Right? Yeah, yeah I think um, I, I think. Uh, you know, most of the tiles we see are basically mass-produced these days. Uh, and there are people, though, who, who do them by hand. There are places, I, I remember visiting some craftspeople in uh, Yamanashi a few years back who had made a, a, a kiln, uh, a kama, specifically for doing roof tiles. And, of course, the hand-fired ones are different. They're, they have a beautiful irregularity. Uh, you know, the machine-made ones, they're wonderful. Uh, and, you know, the outer scientifically determined, you know, the outer glazing, the outer firing is going to be, you know, so many millimeters thick and or microns thick. And, and we know how long it's going to last and how resistant it will be. But the older tiles, the handmade ones, in fact, are more receptive to a bit of moisture coming in, maybe a bit of moss growing on them. Uh, you know, they, they have a different uh, relationship with the environment. And uh, so, you know, it's great that we have, you know, enough production in mass production to do something that's still very, very beautiful. But yeah, there are people here and there in Japan who are still doing it by hand. Uh, not cheap, but you can do that. Yeah, I've seen some innovation with uh, traditional tile making too. Some young entrepreneurs are doing new designs. So it looks like a traditional mm -hmm. tile, but there's something new and unique about it. And people are using it as wall art. So they're, yeah. yeah, really nice to see. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of decorative potential, especially, you know, because, you know, uh, uh, the tiles at the, oh, there's so many types of tiles. And, uh, but, you know, often if it's a the round tile, you know, the end at the end of the eaves, uh, it, they often, they were embossed with a sort of symbol like that relates to the temple, for instance, or maybe if it's a, you know, a castle or a primary house with the, the family crest or something. Uh, but there's a lot of decorative potential for someone who wants to play with that. And we have these forms, you know, uh, typical round tiles or kiwadabuki, which is sort of the dish-shaped tile. Uh, and, and at the edge of the eaves, they have a, a room for decoration. So if someone wants to play with that, there's a lot of room. I mean, I would love to see to see that sort of thing. Yeah. I've seen the one that I saw is uh, making the the onigara, right? The, the, the onigawara. Demon. That's of course totally decorative. And making it into a frame that you can put it on your wall. I love that idea. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> onigawara, of course. And there's so much regional variation. That's sculpture. Yeah. That that is you know tile art uh, from the beginning, from way back. And of course, if someone wants to like do something innovative with that, they certainly can. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to talk to another tile geek. I'm always <laughs> talking about tiles yeah. on my tours. I wonder. We. I don't know if there'll be any tile people at the Minka Summit, but oh, wouldn't that it's be worth, fun? It's worth building that network, isn't it? Uh, because absolutely. People, people want that. It's a bit expensive. Can be expensive, but not more expensive than you know thatch, or less expensive than thatch in many cases. And I think there's ways to use you know some less expensive tiles, mass-produced ones, and then you know, link that with some beautiful onigawara or something that's really decorative. And in fact, people probably underestimate how accessible 
it is to actually ask a, a, a craftsman, a clay craftsman, a potter, uh, to make something for you, to make your own unique onigara. I think that's definitely something people can do. Oh, that would be really exciting, yeah. wouldn't it? To have and take home to your house, wherever take you're coming your from, house. right? Take home to your house. Yeah, because uh, there's lots of potters. That's one of the wonderful things. Of all the traditional crafts that have suffered and, you know, it's hard to keep alive, pottery is so vibrant in Japan. There's so many potters, uh, beautiful handmade dishes. You know, they're, you know, I'm often surprised at how inexpensive they are. Uh, for how beautiful they are. So there's lots of potters and there's a lot of people I think would be very interested to take on that kind of order. Yeah, absolutely. We need to get Robert Yellen on the case. Makes Robert him... Yellen. <laughs> I hope he, is he coming? I don't, I don't know if he's coming to the Minka Summit, but he's always, always supportive of pottery everywhere. Yeah. He knows the potters for sure. He knows so. the potters. Well, thank you so much, Asby. That was a wonderful preview, a little bit of yeah. insight about what you're going to talk about at Minka Summit. And it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to talk to you too. Time flies. I was thinking, how are we going to fill an hour? <laughs> and it's easy. like we're just warmed up. So, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, easy. Do it again. And I look forward to our, our events, you know, uh, over the weekend at the Minka Summit in Aichi. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you and everybody else. And now we're really like, you know, a community. So uh, it's really wonderful that we support each other and we have so much in common. Yeah, absolutely. And I will have the chance to talk to you on Sunday as yes. you are part of the Minka Masters panel. Yes that I yes. will be the moderator for. So that'll be really fun. And then you have your talk about community development and preserving, yes. restoring, and renovating that, uh, old houses. We'll do a book talk, I mean, like a book reading. Oh, book uh, reading, every, awesome. You know, day, I think the, the time slot between like 4.30, 5.30 p.m. There's many authors coming this time which is really wonderful. So we have some time to read like 10 minutes or so for each of us to read a bit of our books. Oh, how fantastic. And many of the authors who I've interviewed on my show, I'm so excited to see. I think you know everybody. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Have a great night, everyone. Take care. Everybody. Anyone ever seen a mess like this? Some of us don't mind crying in public. Some of us are just dying to be missed. You all seem like such nice truly my pleasure to make your company some of our paths may diverge over the years all of you left a certain mark on me don't ever
it's all working out so far don't ever change i love you just the way you are so if we're a little strange it's all working out so far